And when I go look at the diversity in humans, because they have different backgrounds and different experiences, oftentimes I find the diversity of thought comes from those same humans. Hey, Rich. Hey, Paul. Good morning. What a surprise to see you back here again. Today. Or good afternoon, depending on who's listening. Really? I mean, it's, it's asynchronous in every possible way. So not too long ago, we recorded a podcast in which I made gentle, mocking, loving fun of Google Cloud Platform and its remarkable hamburger menu on the, on the top left. Because imagine a hamburger that had on top lettuce, tomato, onion, mm-hmm. but also uh, mustard, mayonnaise, five kinds of mayonnaise, mayonnaise that can run in the cloud with no no problem, uh, mayonnaise that's like a full Linux machine, DNS, all on top of one hamburger. That was kind of how we characterized Google Cloud pl- Platform. And you know who reached out? Who? Google Cloud Platform. And they said, <laughs> it was kind of like, Uh-oh. <laughs> it was a good one. No, because it was like, all right, dudes, those are some good burns. That was kind of the, the essence of the message, right? And so we had a great conversation because you say that to me. If somebody comes to me and is like, I appreciated the way you made fun of my product, I'm like, I would like to talk to you. And uh, so we had a great conversation with Ben Wilson, who runs product for Google Cloud Platform. We should talk about what that is and asked him to come on the podcast because when do we get to talk to product managers at this level of abstraction and altitude? I mean, at ground level, it's hard to talk to product managers about product because product management is product management. But at this level, it's a whole other game, right? So welcome, Ben, to the Post Life Podcast. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. And I, of course, appreciate all the good burns. Those are the most fun of the day. (laughs) And, and, And we also have those great conversations about what's on the hamburger also. Ben, I want to get your title right. I have, I'm looking at LinkedIn right now. Uh, so you are Chief Technology Officer Dash Energy at Google, as well as a distinguished engineer at Google. Uh, so explain your role. Uh, I think that's a good place to start here. Like every good Google employee, that's an old role that I had two years ago. <laughs> so when I started- ah, so this is when, no longer your role. Yeah, so when I started with Google, I started in the office as CTO, and one of the roles I had was- working in the energy spectrum. And so I was working with energy companies. And so that was the role. Today, my role is I'm a senior director of product management working for Google, running a whole bunch of products on Google Cloud. Specifically, I'm running a lot that are kind of more internally facing now, although I do have a whole set that's externally facing. But it's a lot of fun and an ability to go and do scale like I've never been able to do scale in my entire life. You know what I'd love for, I think that the listeners and me too, right? Like when we talk about product, we're often talking about maybe an API or two, a mobile app that you can use to access and do things with those APIs. When you're talking about product at this level of abstraction, these are the products that people use to build the platforms and products. So give me some example of, you you know, you have this portfolio. What would be in your portfolio? What kind of things? Uh, So one one of the products that uh, we brought out a while ago was called uh, Active Assist. So if you go think about Active Assist, it basically is out there trying to help customers use their products better, save money, be more secure, and so forth. We have something called like IAM Role Recommender. And when you think about those, those are very diverse product sets that we have out there, whether it be BigQuery or IAM or Compute. And you don't want to go rebuild that kind of same functionality to be able to make a recommendation. You want to have a platform that that builds on. 
And so that's the thing that I've helped go build is that kind of platform that each one of these product teams can use to be able to go make recommendations, surface it to customers, and then eventually surface it to kind of the field salespeople who are working with those customers. They can say, hey, listen, we made a recommendation to our customers like, hey, they have an opportunity to save all sorts of money in compute. We told your customer that wouldn't it be great to tell the, the FSRs and the uh, TAMs that are out there also. I'm not even going to try to unpack all those acronyms. It's actually really useful. Like, like there is a lot going on in your world, right? Help me understand who the customer is, because that to me would be where I would immediately freak out in your role, because I would think my customer would be Con Ed and my customer would be a woman named Susie. Oftentimes, the way we think about our customers, especially, let's use Active Assist as an example, is oftentimes we think about them as the developer or the infrastructure engineer that's operating out there, so for Active Assist. And we think about them in terms of that kind of user persona. That user persona is the thing we use to be able to identify what are the features and functions we're always trying to figure out to kind of increase that usage, but more importantly, fulfill that need that customer has. So one of the things we spend a lot of time on is CUJs, and one of the unusual things. Wait, what are what are CUJs? Well, wait, let's take a guess. Okay, CUJ. What do you? I think customer user journey. That's my guess. It's actually what critical user journey, but yeah. Uh, oh, oh, so close. This is why this is why I run a software service because I've never had any idea, but I can usually context clues. Okay, so CUJs. Yeah, I mean the the critical user journeys are one of these things we use to be able to really understand what's happening. And what's a little bit different inside Google is we like a lot of research. Our research teams actually exist inside of our uh, UX teams. And being able to have true researchers who actually understand how to go and pull the information out of users to understand what their true needs are is really an art and really a talent. And as a product manager, you're like, oh, I can figure that out. I can just go talk to a customer. I can have a user group and I'll figure out what it is. And I used to believe I could go do those things. And when I came to Google and I went through our UX team and went through the research and having people who really understand this, they are an asset like no other asset I've seen. And I think that being able to couple those two things together is one of the things that really drives a capability and being able to understand what the value is. Let's give the Google PR person listening to this a really good day. I'm going to ask you the greatest leading question that anyone has ever heard. What makes Google research so good? I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I think I think that if you go look at the the way they interview these people and the, the, the ringer they put through, it's it's got to be really tough. And I think some of it, too, is they're allowed to focus. And I think that's one of the things I find in product is it's easy to get like defocused on too many things, because as a product manager, we always say, oh, you're kind of like CEO of the product. So you always have so many things going on. So it's easy to get diffused. These people can stay focused on that particular item. And they have a passion for it, too. I mean, some of these researchers worked at Gartner or some of these other places where they really did hardcore research and were able to pull out what those features and functions are that people wanted. And that really drives a differentiated experience and provides me insights we didn't have before. As an example, one of the things we say in Google all the time is, you know, we ship APIs first, never a UX. Mm-hmm. And when we originally started using or building Active Assist, we, we envisioned it as kind of purely an API solution. Our researchers were like, yeah, you're wrong. And we're like, no, we're not. We're not wrong. We're right. They're like, no, no, you're wrong. And so they went out and did some research, came back, and the research was absolutely overwhelming. They did a pairwise comparison research that allowed you to kind of like rank all, all the features and capabilities you wanted through kind of a pairwise comparison. And what came out at top is the ability to visualize and see it. And then like 
once we built it initially and we released it to a small set of customers, in those customers, you could literally see the hockey stick of usage. And it's these types of insights that, you know, as product managers and engineers that we don't normally get. Their major skill is to tell you you are wrong. Correct. That is 100% correct. And the people that, that I've worked with in this space would say that that's true, too. It's absolutely mm-hmm. true. And, and that's what's great, right, is that that brings in that kind of different thinking that you need to, to really be good at product. I'm hearing two challenges for you that aren't typical for a product leader. One is your users are also inside your company. And also the best of the best are inside your company. So you're trying to drive product forward, but you've got a population within your organization. It's like me creating an app for real estate brokers. Meanwhile, I run a real estate brokerage firm. Like, And they're all inside and they're going to have strong voices. And frankly, their voices should be heard because they, they're at Google and they're probably really great at what they do. No, but you know, we've we've talked to lots of ex-Google folks in, in the yeah. course of Postlight, right? And it is a powerful mental adjustment for them to leave that organization and realize how the rest of the world does engineering, which to them is like cave people with, you know, hitting sticks with, with bones. Okay. And so, and <laughs> but the cave that people, bad, but, no, but here's yeah. the problem. The cave people hitting sticks with bones have access to like a trillion dollars in it spend. So the Google engineers are like, they're over there in a cave grunting. And now you have this cloud platform that literally is like, you know, a lot of the world runs on SAP, right? Like, I don't think Google would build its own SAP. That's not Google's thing. But if you're going to have a cloud platform that's truly viable, you're going to support SAP. There's no way around it. So that that is to me, like, that is the great, like, I don't, you're not going to resolve that on this podcast. That's like the great eternal conflict of being in an engineering org and then needing to support the world of IT. Do you find that's a challenge to, to sort of reconcile sort of what you're learning about the world and what's going to resonate with people and the strong sort of cultural position that sits that, you know, that lies within Google that has delivered unprecedented success on every level. Do you find that's a challenge in terms of navigating that within Google? Here's here's what I'd say is I, I think that I think the question is perfect because that is exactly the position we find ourselves in is we have customers who are using our product. It's a publicly facing product, but really it's Google engineers who are building on top of our platform. When you look at me as a product manager, where I really excel most is building platforms that engineers use. And where I excel best is when those engineers use that product in a way that that's expressed externally to customers. And when you're in that situation, you always have to remember that you're in service. It's servitude. And, and like that servitude and service always sounds bad. It's like you always want to be the person like, oh, hey, look at me. I'm the product manager. And like, look at this great thing I built and look how awesome. And it's great to be in the videos and, you know, be on stage and stuff. That's great. That's one thing. But there's a whole thing around building platforms. And if you're building platforms, you have to have this mindset of my job is to go serve those people so they can be successful. And what you have to take take away from that is when you see that success you kind of get that those goosebumps. It's like, man, that, I can't believe they used my product to go do that. And then as more and more products get added to it, you start looking at, wow, there's look at how many 28-day active developers are on it. Look at how many API transactions we're having a day. Two trillion API transactions a day. I mean, 
These are things you have to get excited about. If you can't get excited about servitude, you can't get excited about more and more people using a platform that expresses itself externally. Building internal platforms is probably not the right place for you. Now, this is like music does, right? Like, I don't know about you. This is like, literally, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, keep talking. Because that, first of all, we're a client service firm, right? So, so that's just part of our ethos. But that moment when you see people getting empowered and they don't care who empowered them. No, they they're don't. just like, I have a new power. Look at that. I found a tool on the street. They don't care that you left the hammer there. They just, somebody left a hammer and now they can drive nails and they're really excited. They're never going to know you had anything to do with it, but you will. And that, if that does feel awesome to you, then the, then the platform stuff is wonderful, right? Because your job is to make yourself as invisible as possible so that people just feel it's just natural to, to pick one of these up. What is active assist? We should talk about that so that people know. Uh, it's just a recommendations tool. You know, it's a capability that allows our users to understand how to be able to use Google Cloud better. Uh, we just introduced it in the last like six months. It was in our uh, next conference in July. It's a fantastic, it's a great product. I think that at the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is find a way to make it easier to use Google Cloud. And eventually, like, can it be something like a self-driving cloud? Instead of us just making recommendations, can we actively do these things for you? And so as you think about these types of recommendations, the idea here is, is like, how do we go make them even, even more useful to our customers? The explanation I always use is the, the uh, duplex video that uh, Sundar had uh, about two years ago at I.O., where he had the assistant go make a haircut appointment for him and also make a reservation at a restaurant. If you go back and you look at that video, right, and you watch it, there's nobody in the world who asked for that. I mean, nobody in the world yeah. asked for the assistant to go do that, right? And so part of the way Google thinks about things is how do we be helpful? How can we be helpful to our users? And you go look at that idea, right? And those are similar ideas that we're trying to trying to bring forward. Not only like listening to our customers, but also be like, well, hey, if we do a few extra things, does that really help them more? And that's kind of what Active Assist is trying to go out and be. When we talk about scale, let's quantify it. Like, how often is an API getting hit? Like, how do you think about scale? When we're talking about, you know, transactions or number of users, what are, what are the parameters that are in your mind? So I think, first, let, let's define what scale is first, right? I think there's different kind of, if you will, dimensions of scale. One is transactional scale. One is user scale. Another one is customer scale, which is different than user scale, right? There's geographic scale, and then there's technical complexity. Like self-driving car is different than a curbside de delivery app, right? And so scale is different depending on which pieces. Now, you, you spoke about transactional scale, which is like APIs. I have a particular product that does roughly 2 trillion API calls per day. For people who are listening, that's a lot of API calls. Like that's <laughs> I, I Honestly, it's like it ended up in a presentation. I changed it to billions because I thought they'd made a mistake. And they said, no, 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 that was trillions. And T, the T was correct. I'm like, oh my, I like, I, cause I was new to the product. I was just taking this over. And, and, and it was like, it was amazing. When you go look at, at the capability that's driven, it, it's amazing. And in this type of scale, you have to really think through, like, how do I go manage things at that scale? Inside Google, we're kind of a big microservice organization. So you can imagine lots of tiny microservices. So the fact that you get 2 trillion API calls, it sounds like a lot, but isn't that uncommon in Google because of the way we've constructed our products? I want to go back to the timeline right after the research comes in. The research has come in. It's undeniable in terms of guidance, in terms of rationale for what you should go do next. And so you let that inform your requirements effectively. Let's just let's be let's, let's dumb it down a little bit here. And then this is going to be the next six months of what we're going to focus on because this is what the research told us. Oh, wait, it's six months right. 
is how how long does it take to ship a thing inside of a, inside of Google? It depends on what it is, but I think the first month is denial that they're correct. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean you, you have a bunch of researchers come back and they tell a bunch of engineers, hey, actually, you're wrong. And then the first thing the engineers want to do is go, well, wait a minute. What about that assumption? What about that assumption? You just restated the question I wanted to ask you. Unlike law, where there's the, the wrestling that happens as a bill is debated, and then once it passes into law, the clay hardens, right? And you can't go change it. Here, when you write that PRD, and it goes out, people keep pecking at it, right? As a product leader, how do you deal with the wins that come at an effort, whether it be doubt, whether it be second guessing, or whether it be, no, there's a better way, or why are we doing this? Just the why question is exhausting. Why are we doing this is a painful, painful question. So how do you deal with that? I mean, and I, my guess is you've got a lot of strong opinions at Google. Yes, absolutely. There are a lot of strong opinions. One of the challenges I think we face in product management is this idea of being able to be clear on our vision and clear on our strategy. If you're clear on your vision, your strategy, the idea of a PRD is fulfilling pieces of that vision and that strategy. And mm -hmm. the three things cannot be, if you will, separated. Now, if you want to get down to details, certainly you can find things that says, well, why are you doing this? And you, you go, well, we got this big customer. They really need blouse. <laughs> Sometimes and so, we, straightforward. And so we, we added it. And honestly, they said they'd be one of the first customers to go use it if they had that feature. And we're like, if we could use that. So we did it. Right. So that happens. But let's just be honest. That's what happens. But like usually like you can be really specific on why why that happens. But like if they're asking for like a fundamental feature, like why are we building this? Right. Or why is this particular feature important to this strategy? Hopefully it's self-evident. If it's not self-evident, then you've done something wrong. And that's that's part of the challenge. I mean, I, I would love to say I'm an incredibly awesome storyteller. I don't think I am. I think that uh, every product manager strives to go do that. But I think it's the everyday work of being able to say, listen, here's a charter of what I'm trying to go do. Here's the vision of what I'm trying to go do. Right. And then being able to say, OK, here's the strategy around it and why it makes sense. Right. And hopefully part of why it makes sense is I'm going to go drive monthly uh, recurring revenue or active recurring or uh, annual recurring revenue. And these things will drive you to go and build certain features and functions so people actually consume it. This is how I think about it. And it's it sounds very linear. It sounds very like, oh, wow, it sounds fantastic. It, it never quite works that way. Sometimes you're building a product and you're like, oh, hey, I need a vision and a strategy for it. But you never want to be in that situation. But oftentimes you find yourself. So, OK, so you navigate through that. How do you translate that mission? Let's talk about your team, the team that's doing the actual building. And this kind of butts up against the question I want to ask about how you're perceived, how product management is understood to be at Google. My guess is it's something different than a lot of other places. What is the perception of product management at Google? I think defining the product and what needs to be built. I mean, being able to marshal the resources together. I mean, if you think about like, I don't know if you ever seen that picture of like how each organization is structured, right? You have... You have like Microsoft is top down and then you have like Apple has got a circle in the center and everything goes out. And if you go look at Google, it's just like matrix on top of matrix and it's like super confusing to look at. So describe Google in this in this. I, I think the way I describe Google is it's matrix on top of matrix on top of matrix. I mean, the idea of a product manager having 900 people reporting to them, that's not the way reality works in Google. The way it works is we have these 
kind of teams and we have a product management team, we have an engineering team, and there could be three or four engineering teams. There's a UX team, there's a program management team, all these different teams, and they're working on different products at any point in time. And you kind of get assigned a slice of their time to go and help you go build something. Is that frustrating? Slices of time? Uh, so I've been, I, up until this point in time, I've always been a CTO. So I've had both product management and engineering report to me. So I've never really had to face that frustration, but it is it is challenging because the idea of getting mindshare is difficult. It is difficult. We're sort of back to the politician part. Like I'm noticing this as post slate scales. Rich and I function in a more political way. We can't, you you know, it used to be you could just be like, okay, we got to do this. And that was that. But there's all these different resources and you can't, I mean, yes, nominally you can stomp your feet and yell all you want, but that's not an effective strategy. You have to, you have to start to kind of compel and persuade people to come into your world. I, I, say, I completely agree with that. I, 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 I'm not sure I'd use the word politician. I think the word I, I would use is the orator of what the value is that's going to be driven for a customer, being able to to explain it in terms that each team can understand so that they feel like they're part of that journey you're going to go on. And you say this, and like I say this, and I'm like, oh, wow, he must do a really great job. I actually don't think I do as good a job as I'd really like to do on it. In fact, I think some days I wake up and I'm like, man, I'm doing a terrible job at it because trying to do that at scale is quite challenging. And when you have teams that you know span in the thousands that you're working with, trying to gain that mind share is quite challenging. I, I will say just my experience as a product leader, the secret weapon of an engineer or a designer that is bought in and really motivated about the thing you've got them working on just changes the game in my mind. If you can get some, I mean, that's why I imagine this is so challenging because even if someone is really excited about some initiative you've got them on, they still have, they committed to five other things. And that's really hard, right? Like we're, we incubate stuff sometimes at Postlight as well. And it's just a glorious moment when you can tell an engineer is like, okay, I believe in this. Like I'm really, I'm into this. I'm going to think about this some more and I'm getting messages at night because they've been thinking about it. That's a wonderful place to be, right? Because you're selling not just to stakeholders as a product leader, you're selling to your team as well. People at Google can go, I was about to say can go anywhere they want, but I, they can probably go anywhere they want inside of Google. That's absolutely true. I mean, the, the, the marketplace inside Google is very fluid. And so you're always trying to gain that mindshare to be able to get people to be a part of it. It all comes down to what's that story you're telling and why is it valuable? If the story you're telling is like, it's like a compliance story, it's really, really hard, right? I mean, think about compliance, right? If it's a compliance story, it's like really, really hard. People aren't excited about compliance stories, Ben. Nobody, nobody got that up. Stanford degree to do 18 months of compliance-related uh, engineering. I will tell you is you will find people like that. I mean, I this, well, this, is, sure, the, this sure. is the part that I think product management has got to really get their head around, right? Is I was doing lots of traveling. I was staying at this one Marriott for like months on end. And I got to know the general manager there. And he was a terrific person. And he's like, hey, let me buy you a drink. So we're sitting there having a beer. And uh, he was telling me some of his problems. I said, you know, don't you find like, how do you find people to go and clean those rooms all the time? It's like, that has got to be terrible. And he goes, you know what is? Yeah, I got to go through five or 10 of them to be able to find a really good one. But you'd be amazed. There are people in the world who love to clean. They love it. They they get finished cleaning a room and they get goosebumps and they love it. And it's like, we know how to find people like that. And when we find people like that, we can put them to work. They are so happy to clean and we're so happy to have them. It's fantastic. 
And when you think about something like compliance or you think about like platforms is another one, right? This is the challenge I face in building platforms. When you find that person who like gets that thought process and says, man, I love this. This is really what I like to go do. And usually it's very service oriented. They love that kind of service approach. Those people like to build platforms. Oftentimes those people also like to do things like compliance. For, for people who are not motivated that way, it's a strange thing, but it is absolutely 100% true. And I always go back to this general manager that I met at Marriott. It was, a, it was a great story. You know, it is true. If you find them, they're gold and you just want to get out of their way. And no, we, you know, you keep that list in your back pocket of like, okay, this is a difficult thorny problem that most people would never want to touch. The metaphor we always use is the tax attorney. Like the, that you know, the one guy, that partner in the firm who's incredibly good at tax law and may really not be good at anything else, including buying shoes. And they make partner and nobody nobody wonders why, right? They're like, oh, yeah, obviously, right? Uh, what's the number one warning sign you would give product leaders out there? What's the signal that makes you go, oh, oh I got to head this off? People within the organization say they're not bought into the vision that they or they don't understand it or I'm confused. I'm confused always makes me concerned. I'm confused is the is is I mean, you might as well just scoop my heart out and just kick it around the room. I'm confused is a rough, rough thing to hear. That's a nice reminder that you haven't done your job. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I mean, sometimes sometimes people are legitimately confused. And there are other times where it's they haven't spent the time to learn too, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's two ways to communication, right? I mean, there there's the speaker and there's the listener. And if you're not listening, or you only have slices of time to listen, or whatever, sometimes you can't avoid that confusion in certain people. But when you get a large scale confusion, that becomes problematic. And oftentimes you see it in a couple of different ways. One is I don't understand, or like what's that value look like? And the other one it looks like is I'm confused. And those are things that are super concerning. I will tell you is that sometimes in platforms, I think you see that more often than you would a real product because it's hard for people to get to wrap their head around a platform, right? I mean, if I'm building you know, a CRM system or something like that, and I'm just trying to create a funnel and trying to make that work, and I'm trying to explain like how do we manage data on the back end, it's like, I don't understand the value. I'm confused on why that's valuable or how a pipeline works and why a pipeline has to have a validity, why it has to have a data quality check on it. These are things that are hard sometimes for people to understand. And I think in the space of platforms, I think there is a higher propensity for people to not understand or be confused. And, and that makes the job a little bit more challenging. Let's back up even more. I'm confused is essentially them saying I'm not bought in and I need you to explain this to me and you should take the time to do that, right? It's it's I read it as passive aggressive in a lot of ways. I also have I have a very ugly view of humanity generally, so maybe that's maybe I'm not a <laughs> well, good Well, see, and this is I love I'm confused because now I get yet another uh, you, want, you get the meeting. I get to no, I get to explain it all over again and maybe this time I'm going to purify it so that everyone can understand what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, but you do get people who say I'm confused. And you sit down and, and you talk about it. And in a period of time, it might be in that meeting, it might be over a week or maybe even longer, that they all of a sudden are not confused. And they're like, oh, I get it. I, I get it. And then all of a sudden, now you've got an advocate. So, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I bristle sometimes at the I'm confused too, because it's just like, okay, so like, let's talk about it again, especially if the person's been in some of the meetings and you're like, 
okay, you're the only one or is there <laughs> more than one? And, and if there's one, you can always be sure there's another someplace. You can, and you, now you have to go find it, right? And being able to articulate that's important. And so like, I, I think that as a product manager, right, you have to take those things seriously and try to go resolve them. Sometimes they don't want to resolve themselves for one reason or another, and you have to accept it. But in accepting it, what you also have to do is take accountability and responsibility for making sure that articulated, if you will, North Star or vision is still clear and that people understand it. Let's give some people some advice here. Because look, here's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the fact that most product managers in the world, if they're listening to this, they're, a lot. most of us will work on apps and websites and sort of things that probably reach thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people. And then there's that next level in your career. And the next level in your career is not necessarily, maybe it's that you're going to go build an app that has more consumers using it. But very likely, if you're really kind of going deeper into this industry, you're going further down the stack towards that platform level. And that's, that's where you live. Like It's a hamburger menu with lots of pieces. I like to, to make fun of it. But you're talking trillions of transactions. That's where the scale is. And that's where the power is, right? So help me make that transition. You know, let's let's say I have a year or two and I am... I'm smart. I know how API would work. I'm a good product manager, good eye. I can get an app into the app store. Ben, tell me what I need to do to come work with you. That's a tricky question because I think that to come work on a platform, I think it's got to be a kind of thought process. And so it's like, I want to I want to clarify the question a little bit. It's not come work for Google because I think there's many avenues for product managers to come in to work for Google. But if you want to come and work on a platform like the platforms I work on, Right. Mm -hmm. The thing I have to see is, are you willing to be in servitude? Can you get that mindset straight in your head that says, listen, my success is when I see success out there. And when I see that come from a person, they internalize that as a product manager and they express it and they express it in terms of, listen, when I make it easier for, for developers to be able to go create a pipeline and do a transform on that pipeline and make it so easy that it takes them five seconds rather than 50 hours and they get excited about that because what they recognize is that platform added value to that developer. That's huge. Now, it doesn't always have to be a developer. Sometimes it can be a user. But oftentimes, with platforms that at least I build are often kind of developer focused. And that type of thought process is what I'm looking for. I think the technical expertise is just as important. So that's a different kind of vector we have to have a conversation about. But the vector as being a really good, if you will, platform product manager has to be around how do you go and see value derived? That's been the value of the cloud platforms, right? Is that the thing that used to take you two weeks and then you would have to configure, you learned a new skill and now in five minutes you can have the 20 servers up in the cloud. And that used to be two people's full-time job. And instead now you've pushed three buttons. Now it all seems magical and obvious now, but getting us there was an unbelievable amount of thought. It's not a trivial challenge at all, right? So that's that's... So go learn more about the lower level and think about ways to help people absolutely skip steps. So more about acceleration plus experience as opposed to like pure experience. Like product management thinks a lot about experience. I'm going to open that app. I have this very specific user journey. But what you're saying is like, you know, could you also cut out 90% of that user journey? Yes, exactly right. I mean, when I was at GE, we were moving to the cloud and we built something called the bot army. And the whole idea around the bot army is go build a bot that saves people time. Mm -hmm. Literally, that was the whole message. And there were all sorts of signals we could bring in from the cloud. And we were able to concatenate that into a way that it was consumable and you could do analysis against it. 
And then you could literally point it at almost anything and you can go, hey, here's a place where I can save money or here's a place I can get better performance, right? I mean, this is what we were really trying to go do. And when you think about it in those terms and like you just think about like little bots, all of a sudden you can start to understand it. And when you start to orchestrate the bots, right, all of a sudden that orchestration provides another level of value. And this all sits at the platform level. And I think that those are important concepts to think about. I'm not saying bot army is like the right way to think about platforms. I'm just saying that from a, uh, a conceptual perspective, those thought processes about how I can do a single thing better over and over and then orchestrate it together is a powerful concept. This relates back to the vision statement. I mean, to, like that very succinct eight, 10 words orients all the decisions and drives a lot of the decisions that you make beneath. This kind of further punctuates the value of it because people wonder, well, why are you doing that? Well, you just say that statement again, right? And it's like, we're going to make it easier. I mean, you know what? It, this is a, a sort of meta thing, but I think about this a lot because the disciplines are very focused. Like design is very focused on experience, right? And engineering is focused usually on process, good reproducible process as well as quality. And so what is product to me? Product to me is always about speed, like kind of quietly underneath. It's always about, can we get it done faster? And then can we make it much, much faster for people on the other side to get it done. Can we give that to our users? And it's funny because I talk about this a lot in the firm, but it's really not the conversation that the industry has a lot of the time. And that's th this is what you're giving back to us, right? You're going like, nope, it's all about speed. Like, how can we cut steps, make life simpler, and move things along faster, both internally and for the customer, over and over again, until one day there's just one big button. You just hit that button and suddenly your entire cloud platform is set up because it uses ML to figure out what you were, use, reads your face. It's like, oh, this person needs cloud run. Bloop. I mean, eliminating steps is a great part of product, right? When you oh. eliminate steps, oh. you've, it's the you've best. achieved it's so things. Good. It's such a great feeling when it's just, it's almost ridiculous and it looks so simple and people think that it's dumb. That's yep. how you know. It's so wonderful. You know, you've got a big team, right? You've got lots and lots of product managers, dozens, you've got zillions of engineers, you're inside of Google. You know, there's a there's a sort of ethos around cloud services. They're very kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of DevOps culture and so on and so forth. You're going to need a lot of ideas. You're going to need a lot of ways to play and explore if you're going to do something interesting. So get me there, right? Like there's a lot of different things to build. How are you getting people to stop building just a much faster web server for the 500th time or the you know, or, you know, the, the Linux server that's 10% easier to boot. Where are the, all these things coming from? That's a great question because I think we all want a Linux server that's going to boot 10% faster. I don't know why we all want <laughs> that, but we, somehow we still <laughs> want that. But when I think about it, I really do think about it in terms of diversity. I think oftentimes when you hear Google talk about diversity, it's in terms of like gender or LGBTQ. And those things are extremely important. I always think about diversity and thought. How can you go find that diversity and thought? And that diversity in thought allows you to kind of look at things on different vectors, right? And being able to think about something on a different vector is super important. Uh, I was working on a software product uh, in Berlin where it was for shop floor control systems. And I had one gentleman from uh, the UK who came over to Berlin working for us. And he had a completely different thought process than everyone else. And that complete different thought process led us from a very kind of process-orientated shop floor control system into a very orchestrated one. Instead of everything having to be step by step by step all, all in one piece, all of a sudden we started orchestrating things. And we were able to get the plant from 70% capacity to almost 82% capacity. 
And that 12% capacity actually is almost all pure profit. And so when you start bringing in that diversity of thought, that really makes a difference. And that's how I think about it personally as an individual. Look, I mean, that is that is the story, right? We need lots of people seeing the world lots of ways. I mean, and, and at this scale, of course you do. You need the world to talk to the world. Look, Ben, this is great. You are remarkably open and transparent given the fact that you work for a giant global megacorp. We really appreciate that because I think people need to understand how things are working at this scale. Like Google scale today will be other people's scale tomorrow. And then Google scale will slowly incorporate the planet Saturn as it gets even bigger. Ben, thank you so much for doing this. This was great. No, hey, it was great. Hey, thank you for your time, guys. And it was it was fun. So last question, if anybody wants to get in touch, what's the right way to do it? Best way to get in touch with me is I show up as Benjamin Wilson at Google.com. And it's B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N, Wilson, W-I-L-S-O-N, no dot in between. And you can reach out to me anytime. I'm always happy to talk about product management. It's always a thrill. And uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I I, uh, look forward to further talking. All right, Richard, if people want to get in touch with Postlight, a little company compared to Google, what do they do? Uh, just hit postlight.com. I think we put a contact form on literally every single page on the site. So there's better no way out of it. So just hit postlight.com. It's a nice white paper. Go to postlight.com slash catalyst. Check out our white paper about how to, how to manage software change inside your organization. But yeah, we like to hear from people. We will talk to you soon. Have a great week. Bye.